guests can't hear it. I can stop ruining it by talking. I'm gonna try with it. Here we are. Welcome back to another episode of the Hempletic Podcast. I oh man, the snow is here. First off, I have got to talk about that first. The only good bad thing about this great studio here is I can't see outside the window like I used to from upstairs. But I, I I'm gonna tell you, I, I, this is the first time I think about. It. In summertime, I could care less, but in wintertime, when the snow was out, I really enjoyed looking at the snow while we were doing while we were doing it. But and and our and my boy here, Justin's shaking his head. He agrees, but by far the space is way better, way better, way better. Um, maybe I'm going to have to bring some kind of alternative to see the outside, but, um, currently New York state is totally covered with snow from one end to the other top to bottom. That has not always happened, uh, the last five or six years, but we're very happy. It is at least I'm happy it is. So I spent another weekend on the mountain building the YouTube channel up this weekend. So I'll have a little, little shameless plug out there for Brian Lane ski videos. I am trying to get all around New York state. I hit cocaine and kissing bridge this weekend with my son uh, which was a lot of fun and then i also uh the week before i hit halamont holiday valley and swain so i have new footage of all those places uh for people to see on my youtube so make sure you check it out uh that is definitely my outlet as everybody knows i like to keep moving the leg is good the knee feels healthy i haven't had to ice it once after a ski day yet so I think I have done everything proper with my rehab and everything I introduced to my body to make sure I'm healthy. So there's definitely been mushrooms along the way, definitely cannabis, as everybody knows, a lot of water and a lot of workouts. But at this point, um, knock on wood, I have a gore weekend coming up with my son. So he who graduated from the University of Buffalo, I will proudly say, uh, with, with a couple of degrees there, psychology and finance. Uh, so he steps into the next uh, phase of his life. So I'm very proud of him. I'm going to mention right now. And uh, so we're going to go away for a weekend of skiing up at Gore's, a little celebration of his graduation. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But no further ado, I have my wonderful guest here who I met. Oh, man, how, how many months ago? I guess November uh, we met, um, maybe October. Uh, we met at an open house at my business. We, we invited some people to come into our business to check us out, uh, kind of introduce some people around the Rochester area to No Wave. And uh, Christine was uh, came in with a lot of energy and spunk and uh, really had some great questions and, and thoughts. And uh, she's really excited about getting into this industry in New York State at the time. And so, with no further ado, Christine Steele. Hi, everybody. Ha- so happy to be here, Brian. So wonderful uh, to, you know, interact with you and talk to you and do all the collaborating that I'm blessed to be able to do with you. I've learned so much from you. And it was actually, I believe it was August that I came to No Wave on a tour, and the news was there. And uh, it was wonderful. And that was all thanks to NYC GPA. They put on these wonderful tours across New York State. And I met so many amazing people uh, because of that. So good stuff. It is the New York Growers and Processor Association is what she just referenced. uh, And she's a member of, as well as myself. Uh, And that's where we go to get a lot of our information on what's going on behind the scenes uh, with the legislation in the state. 
because uh, obviously we're halfway there, but now we're waiting for the regulations to go behind the law. Um, so Christine and I have talked on many occasions. We were in New York City together at the Revelry um, with a handful of people from Rochester where we were just absolutely networking that place off. She was uh, with a friend of yours. Who Christine Argrappino, yep. Nick's wife, and uh, she's, she's planning on dispensary in Syracuse. And, yeah, that was an amazing event, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, that's Christine and I have gone from uh, it's amazing the conversations we've had and the conversations we've had in the last two weeks versus what we had back in August when we first met and the ideas. So so first off, let's first of all, get your background, because this is a great stage uh, here that we have at the podcast. So, of course, we need to learn everything about you. Um, so. I would say Italian, right? Is that what you are? A little background, right? Mamma mia. It looks like you were manja, a little were you a cheerleader back in the day. <laughs> she's got the little uh she's got the little pigtails going today, right? Yeah, like my braids are my uh standard look. I you know, I tell everybody, they're like, Oh, you know, you put your hair in braids? I'm like, Yeah, because I don't want to do my hair. So this is so healthy. I don't have to blow it dry. I don't have to flat iron it because tomorrow it'll be curly. And it's just an easy, like on the go look. And, you know, single mom, I'm an educator, so I'm always so busy. So I just put it up and, and forget about it. So we are based here in Rochester, New York, uh, and she uh, basically lived in the town that I lived in for 18 years. I uh, can't believe her and I never crossed paths. Uh, she's wearing a sweatshirt today of a place that is basically the heart and soul of Irondequoit, New York, or, or one, of, one of the known establishments there, uh, O'Loughlin's, yeah. uh, down in Somerville. Uh, so Somerville is like uh, the tip tip of uh, the water, so to speak, in Rondequay, right? It's where the river meets the, the lake, um, and it's really a beautiful area, great place to see a sunset, to say the least, right? Absolutely. I, I pretty much grew up at Ole's, you know, just high school and all my friends, and that's a, such a casual spot. I always said it's, it's more like my family room. You know, I go there, it's like having a drink at home, but away from home. So it's it's always a fun time. It's a good point. I like that. So, so tell me a little bit about uh, growing up. You grew up in Irondequoit, I assume, I, right? Yep. I grew up in Irondequoit, uh, born and raised between East and West Irondequoit. And I did move away for a short time. I moved down to uh, sunny Florida from uh, 2000 to 2005. And I taught third grade down there. And everybody from up here is like, oh, God, you're going to hate teaching down there. It's terrible. You know, the conditions of the schools. So I was a little nervous about getting a teaching job uh, down in Florida. However, it was one of the best teaching jobs I've ever had. Um, I taught in Seminole County, which is um, right outside of Orlando, and I loved it. I taught third grade. I loved my administration. I was at a magnet school for technology, and we were, um, you know, just had so many resources down there. While the district, the school district, had a lot of money. But the actual school I was at was Title I. And so we were, you know, struggling a little bit with funds because of the uh, socioeconomic area that I was actually in. But we had so many grants and so many funding uh, from the state and from the federal government that our school had the best technology I've ever seen. And then when I came back up to New York State and taught, I taught second grade was my next teaching gig. And our technology didn't even touch the technology I had in Florida. And I was like, wow. But, um, yeah, sunny Florida was wonderful. What part of Florida? Uh, right outside of Orlando. So I lived in Lake Mary 
for a couple years. And then my all-time favorite celebration, the town that Disney built, that place was magical. It was, you know, you have the ultra-rich people living all around you, but everybody was so friendly and so down to earth. They didn't mind talking to a little teacher like me. <laughs> so tell me about that because I, there's no way I can't ask you, ask you a little more about that because uh, I come from a family that Disney is, is a centerpiece for my mother down, right? So my sister's been a travel agent, right? Certified with Disney, however that works, right? And, and I think she's been to almost every park on the, on the earth of Disney Park and cruises. And my daughter's been to Disney so many times, I can't tell you. She's been spoiled in her life. But yeah, so we're a big Disney family. So oh, tell I me about love, the celebration a little oh bit. Oh my gosh, Brian. So I it's, love it's Disney too. It's a planned community, too. right? It's it, a planned community, it, yes, right? Yes, planned community. It, people say it looks like that movie, I think it's called Plainville, where they have all the picket fences. It's just immaculate. And, uh, you know, it was very expensive to live there, but it's just beautiful. And then I became really good friends with so many people that actually worked at Disney. They still do. And so they'd get us in all the time as guests. And so we were constantly going to Epcot, to Disney. And even before I lived there, I loved it. And, you know, I, I've taken my kids since we've moved home. I've taken my kids there twice again. And I'm just like a little kid when I'm there again. I'm running all over and I'm like, no, we need to do one more thing. And my kids are like, mom, we're tired. We want to go back to our place. And I'm like, no, no, we have to go up into the Swiss family Robinson and we have to do this. Let's go. <laughs> like a little kid again. I love it. What do you do? Scavenger hunts or what do you play in there? Or you just like to do certain things? You want to hit everything in the park? Is I that hit everything in the park. And I, I'm such a nerd. I love like that carousel of progress. Um, the President's Museum, like the Museum of the Presidents. And I love um, that Swiss Family Robinson's a big tree house. You climb all the way up into it. I love the little kid rides. I don't do well on big roller coasters. I get sick. So Disney is my speed all the way. I'm like, small world after all. Are you kidding me? I'm basically crying on that ride. <laughs> Just, my my mother's favorite ride was the Carousel Progress. Oh, me too. I love that one. My daughter makes fun of me. And I'm like, no, this is so cool. Look at the progress. I mean, it's it's really amazing when you look back to think, wow, we've come so far and we've got a long way to go, yes. But wow, have we made a lot of progress. It's amazing the different perspective of things, right? So the carousel progress is something that I know anytime I have to go to Disney, I have to walk into, right? Like I have it memorized. I have the music memorized. Yes. I've been in there several <laughs> times. But like my niece tells a story where she dragged, she was on a trip with some friends. I don't remember if it was a school trip or whatever. Sorry if the, I don't have the exact story. But uh, she walked in there and, and her friends are like, Izzy, this is the stupidest thing ever. Like, what do you, what did you just bring us on? And <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean? This is it's the my daughter. Like, are you kidding me? So how many kids do you have? I have three kids. My oldest is 25 and her major was finance. So when you mentioned about your son with finance, uh, Natalie's um, major was finance at Oswego. She graduated in 2020. And then I've got Jordan, who's um, just turned 18. He wants to study engineering and we're waiting to see who gives him the best deal. We're, uh, we're still waiting to hear from Syracuse, but it's between Syracuse um, St. Bonaventure and Clarkson, most likely. He did also get into UB, um, so and Oswego. But what does he want to major? Um, mechanical engineering. So he's my smarty pants. Great kid. Loves to ski too. All that skiing you talk about, Jordan would be right there with you. He loves it. He's good at it. So then my youngest, he's he's sixteen, and he's my most amazing guy because he's autistic. 
And I already see him like being an advocate in his life for other people who are autistic. He's taught me so much about, you know, just understanding his abilities and understanding what makes him tick and what, you know, what kinds of things I need to adjust in order to understand him better. And it's definitely been a huge piece of my life. And he actually helped to name my business, Aiden named Buzzadoos. Yeah. What was your daughter's name again? So I've got Natalie yeah, cool. and Jordan and Aiden. Yeah. That's fun. So um, autism, it's such an, uh, it's amazing how much the increase of autism there is in society for, for whatever reason. Um, yes. But he has so many different theories on why that is. But once you are, uh, are around someone who's autistic or has those tendencies, um, it's really a lot of fun to be around that person because if you figure out their triggers and, and you figure out um, what really their strengths and weaknesses is, it's nothing more than any other person on this planet that you're dealing with. I mean, it's nothing more than, a, than an immature person at work that you're dealing with or anything else. I mean, uh, and then they're smarter than usually everybody in, around, right? Like, he's, he's very cool. He's very, he's, he has his special interests. So people who are autistic have special interests, but I, I say we all do. We all have our special interests. And those are his strengths. And he's really hard thing, though, is that he won't really talk to me about other things. He just wants to focus on his special interests. But it's been an amazing thing because I've learned so much from him based on his special interests. So I I unschool him. I can't call it homeschool because he says it's not what we're doing. We're doing unschooling. And it's been amazing because I've been teaching him the things that he's really interested in. And therefore, I've seen him blossom into this child who really does love to learn. It's just they weren't able to meet his needs in the public school because of the, you know, the staff constraint, the funding constraints, the time constraint. And so now I get to design this program based on his special interests. And he's learning just, I'd say, more now than he was because we're able to just really get him hooked in. So it's been great. Does he take, uh, so for homeschooling, I know there's a lot of standards, right? I've, I've learned a little bit of this through this COVID thing, um, what it takes because my niece is being, was homeschooled. And so there's some tests and things, right, to, to make sure he moves up to the next level. Like, wh- what is it that you have to do to, to, help, to do this for him? No, so basically I designed the program And I have to check in with the district every quarter because obviously he's a junior right now. So I obviously want him to graduate. Um, But because we're doing it based on his special interests, they just, as as long as I'm getting my paperwork done with the district, which is just once a quarter, we're, we're pretty, we have a lot of flexibility and I don't, we don't believe we're a family that never really has believed in, um, and the testing, you know, the uh, standardized testing, we just, we don't believe in it. Even as a, an educator, I didn't believe in it just because it doesn't capture the whole child. It only gets a little tiny bit, right? So there's so much more to a person than just a score. So I don't even have to administer any kind of test to him. Um, our, the way I assess him is through his notes, our conversations, so it's oral and written, and just his ability to like he could name off so many facts about the things we're learning. It blows my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh. So it's like, who's teaching who here, you know? So so you probably do, and I'm just trying to get an idea. I love this. Um, math, so there's a math basis yes. to it, right? So there's we do a, there's our a math. basis to it, right? So listen to this, Brian. This is the coolest part about unschooling. 
I get to do real life things with him. So for example, in math, we planned a trip to New York City. The whole itinerary, Aiden and I sat down and that was his part of his schooling. He had to pick all the activities that we were going to do. We had to go out and or go on online and price them for the budget, get the prices of the tickets, the cost of the meals, the cost of everything and add it all up and make a budget. And then an itinerary where, because he likes to know, you know, what's happening in his day. So we follow a schedule. And it was amazing. It, it was so cool. And then we do cooking for math and we review our calendar because he really needs to know, okay, what's coming up? Mom, are you going to have appointments after work? That kind of thing. So we review calendar every day. We've been learning about money and, uh, you know, counting money, dollars, change, you know, getting a bank account, why um, money like Venmo, things like that that are really important for his adulthood. And I want him to be ready uh, for his first job and understand the concept of money and what it really means and how to exchange money. And what what's fair, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Understand. So understand. He's not taking out there. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, because because some of the simple things that we think about, um, people with autism um, just can't. They don't. Have, they they have have to filter out so much they can't really absorb all of that. Right. That re- that able to reason and say, hey, wait, is that, like you said, is am I getting taken here? They don't necessarily have that. And the cool thing that we should might as well segue into it now because we're talking about Aiden, he's a medical patient. So um, I was listening to a podcast, um, Honey Smith Walls. I don't know if you ever heard of her podcast. It's called um, Cannabivarum. It means Cannabis Truth. And she had a guest on named Dr. Leah Johnson, who is a cannabis pharmacist, and she was describing how sometimes low doses of THC help uh, kids and adults who are autistic with like their anxiety, their OCD, et cetera, et cetera, um, different symptoms. And she was discussing this on, on Honey's podcast. I was like, wait a minute. And this was when Aiden was really struggling. He was, his anxiety was through the roof you know, 16, his hormones, the whole nine yards. I'm like, I got to do something. And then here's this podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm contacting Dr. Leah Johnson. And boy, oh boy, was I glad I did. I found her on LinkedIn and what a help. So I ended up getting my medical card on behalf of my son. Wait a minute. So most people go to Google, pull up her name, look at some articles and say, all right, maybe I'll agree with that or not. You go right to LinkedIn and go right to the girl. Like you, you don't stop, right? Is that what it is? You just like, oh yeah, like, there's I'm, no. I'm, a, I'm the queen of resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, like, like tell people everybody has this component that they can do themselves, right? I love this. Amen. Girl. So, like, if I want something done, I'm the type of person I'll research it until I can't research it anymore and figure it out. I'll ask around. I'll ask all my colleagues, all my friends any acquaintances. And I'll just keep asking because, you know, he was to a point, Brian, where he was so anxious, he wouldn't even leave his bedroom. I couldn't get him to a doctor appointments. I couldn't get him to any family functions. He was frozen with anxiety. So I was so desperate for help. I was praying about it. And then when I listened to Dr. Leah um, talk about this treatment for kids who are autistic, I was like, you know, what do we have to lose? We have nothing to lose he needs help. And I've always thought about THC. He had been on uh, a CBD regimen for about four or five years, but when his hormones hit, it wasn't enough. And so I always wanted to try THC with him, but I was kind of like, 
I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what was Such safe a stigma for him. out there. That's right. There wasn't a lot. There's not a lot of information or research out right. there about this with kids. So that's obvious to to have that um, uh, cautious approach. Amen. So, make a long story short, we got him on this THC therapy, and he blossomed. Now he goes to family functions. You know, he's able to leave for appointments. Do tinctures or how do you do? It? Um. So at first. You know, it was it was trial and error. So we, Dr. Leia's like, we got to start low and go slow. So we tried the tincture and we tried pills and it was really expensive. Oh my goodness. It was like costing me about a hundred dollars a week. And that's tricky, especially when you're a single parent. And I was like, I, you know, I don't know how, how this is going to work. How am I going to be able to afford it? So I explained to Dr. Leia, I'm like, hey, can we just, you know, figure out something else? Can we try some of the, you know, the uh, Columbia Care gummies or the Cure Leaf gummies, et cetera, et cetera. Those were more cost effective. And then we figured it out together. Um, and then we got him off the pills. The pills were so expensive. And then he was going through like, it was like a crazy amount, uh, like a, a bottle would only last him like 10 days or something silly. But now we've we tweaked it to the point where he's on, he takes a gummy, a five milligram THC gummy, and we cut it up into fourths. And he takes one fourth of that three times a day. And then he takes a hundred milligrams of CBD through the day. And you know, nothing's perfect, right? We don't yeah. this isn't magic. No exact science. That's this right, is real folks. life, real life. He still has anxiety. However, he's able to get through it. He's able to process it. He's able to work on his strategies. He's able to discuss it with me without like completely having a, like a panic attack. He was up to like three panic attacks a day, this child. So I keep wanting to go back to ask you about this. Now's a perfect segue. It seems like when you're at New York city, you guys did all this planning and all this part of the education, but how about the trip itself? Like you're talking about hustle bustle right and yes. now now i'm glad you mentioned about what has gotten him relaxed so using the the combination of thc and cbd you use the same thing while you're in new york city right so right. all that crazy stuff going on and it's very easy to get off track right you can't control a lot of things there, amen right? public transportation you can't control and i'm sure you guys were using it um so how did that go on that trip just curious yes G great question it was definitely had its tricky moments um you know, leaving the apartment, we rented an Airbnb, which we loved um, in Brooklyn, but just getting ready to leave and making sure Aiden had all the things he needed. So he wears these special Bose um, headphones that help block out noise. They're amazing. And then, you know, just having, making sure he had his, all his equipment, like we had his gummies, we had, you know, anything he needed, his schedule. And, you know, we actually had to add in um, a different medicine. It's called propranolol to help like him just take that extra edge off. Um, the propranolol, I believe it's a blood pressure medicine and that just kind of helped like work with the CBD and the THC in tandem. It was not perfect. We had to, oh my goodness. So one day we were walking and when we were walking, everything seemed fine. And then we were walking closer and closer to time, um, not Times Square, but Rockefeller Center. So we're getting close to Rockefeller Center. The closer we got, the thicker the crowd got. And it was it was even terrible for me. So it was really tough. We I had to talk him through it. I had to hold his arm. And I'm like, look, we're gonna turn around and we're gonna leave. And I'm like, don't worry, we won't ever we won't ever go there again. So it was like think certain days, you know, we had our bumps. 
But we got through them, and, you know, he loved the trip. He talks about it still. He talks about moving to Brooklyn. He's like, Mom, I'm moving to Brooklyn. I'm like, well, Aiden, you know, I think it's better if you are you know live close to me. You know, how are you going to – how am I going to help you if you're in Brooklyn? But That's that's awesome. So he, so he didn't think about the bad moments of that trip. He only thought about the old, old trip as a positive experience. Yes, that's he really he really did. He told tell, like, because he has a therapist, and he told the therapist, you know, there were times – and the crowds that were really overwhelming. But once he was out of the crowd and he got through them, he was able to recover. And that's another thing. Brian, it's amazing his recovery time is so much better with the CBD and the THC in his system where it would take him a whole day, maybe two days to recover. Now he's his recovery of getting over something so emotional and his like adrenaline pumping and all the things going on in his body, he can recover and then still enjoy himself a little faster, a lot faster. I shouldn't say a little. It's amazing. It is. So a piece of you has always been cannabis, right? I, oh, We've talked yes. about that. Like you kind of been called the cannabis girl maybe a lot. Oh, cannabis um, queen. Yeah, okay, yeah. thank you. All right, yeah. so so let's go. I want to go back to childhood to see kind of okay. when it came into your life, okay. right? So uh, around the quite high school, normal upbringing, Parents, right? Do you yeah. have siblings? Normal upbringing. Um, I have a you know my mom and my stepdad and two stepsisters and a sister. So, but my stepsisters and I, we had, we go way back. We all got together when we were only I was only four. So we're like real sisters. We exchange blood the whole nine yards. So we're like we just say we're sisters. So we three sisters. I have three sisters. All four of us are teachers, which is really cool and unique. And we grew up in Irondequoit. And, um, you know, my first experience with THC was when I was 14. I was on a family trip uh, with my sister. We were visiting our grandparents in Florida. And my sister's like, hey, do you want to try this? Um, So-and-so has this. We're all going on a walk with a bunch of kids. And I'm like a little nervous, but I'm like, my sister would never lead me into something dangerous. So I'm like, I'll try it. What the heck? Well, ever since then, I've been a huge fan. I love it. It, it What it does to me, what it helps me, how it helps me feel, you know, my energy. I'm one of those people when I smoke or consume, it actually gives me energy. So like I'll stay up till three, four in the morning after I smoke because it gives me a bundle of energy. Even um, now, you know, if I do a, a strain that's going to help me be a little more relaxed. It does help eventually wear off and I can settle in, but I love it. You know, energy, creativity, focus, um, just relax. So how old were you there then? I was only 14. Holy and, smokes. And I now, did you, was it just sporadic then from 14 was. to 18 yeah, kind yeah, of thing? Yeah. Where, when I was around maybe? When I, mean, I was 14, you know, I was definitely, um, see, I was, a, I think I was a freshman. Yes, it was the end of my freshman year in, in high school. So I'd say sophomore year, I started smoking a little bit more regularly than junior and senior year for sure. And in college, forget it. I mean, I love my weed. And now, were you an athlete in high school too? I was not an athlete. I did cheer. Oh, that's, um, yeah, that's athletic. You know, and I was into student government. So mm-hmm. I was a big student government nerd, loved being involved and in planning things and just like helping get things done for, for the student body. Um, so what role did you serve? Uh, gosh, what role did I serve? It's been so long, Brian. I was in, um, I was in my local, so I was like, f- like for the for my specific grade. But then I was in the big, big mm-hmm. um, overarching 
body of like people. Yeah, so there's I don't a student remember government my, for the whole high school and yeah. then each individual yes. class. Yeah, and that's I, what I was curious. And yeah. honestly, I don't remember that's my fun. specific roles. I remember them telling me, wow, you're really mature. The the teaching le- the teacher leaders are like, you're so mature for your age. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I guess I am because I have, you know, I'm one of three sisters and we had responsibilities and it's just my personality to understand how life worked. And so, um, you know, it was a great experience. And then I went to college and I was in a sorority. And Where'd I you go to school. I went to Oswego. Okay. So, so I'm an Oswego grad too. Oh, yay. Yeah. Um, we, were, wow, we were there almost at the same time. This is crazy. What sorority were in? DeFi. Oh, which one was DeFi? Uh, Delta Phi Epsilon. We were purple and gold. Oh, the purple National. Gold. Okay. All right. What about you? Oh, I, I went to Morrisville for my first two <gasps> years and Oswego for my second two. So I was there from 92 to 94. Okay. And I went to I, Morrisville too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I went to Morrisville for one year from 90 to 91. And then I went to Oswego from 91 to, or nine, wait, 89 to 90 was, was Morrisville. Oh, so you were there. The way 90 there, to yeah. 93 was Oswego. Yeah. So yeah, it was the tail end of Oswego. You were there. I was working at Friendly's my first year there. So wow. yeah, I was down, I was there, but, um, I, Started to go to into SIGTA, um, but then I stopped because I just realized I had so much going on at the time uh, at school. I was like, I can't do a fraternity, too. Are you kidding me? I'm a junior right now. This is ridiculous. What am I doing? Like, I get I'm it. I can't yeah, go through but, this hazing nonsense right, right now. Like, I got real, real world real stuff. stuff. I'm thinking yeah, about. yeah, by the time you're junior, you're, you're into your major and yeah, I the got, workload. Yeah, I, was, I was working for the Oswegonian. Uh, oh, cool. I was trying to get in. I started writing for the Pal- Palladium Times right after oh. that, so... Yeah, I was like riding my bike all over town, just like getting get on it. That's I loved I Oswego. Um, I got the most out of Oswego than most people probably. You too. I mean, uh, a teaching degree was a great degree to get out of there. Well, my one. undergrads in psych. Oh, even better. Yeah. So my undergrads in psych, and then my teaching was degree was from NAS. So I got my master's in education from Nazareth. But Oswego was amazing. The the experience of the people, right? So. I was in DFIE, I held leadership positions in my sorority, but um, a guy I dated was in sci-fi and I became really close with that fraternity as yeah, the well. Sci-fi was known as the Pothead fraternity, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were wild and so much fun. And then I was pinned to sci-fi. So my social life was just, it was, you know. Wow. Yeah, insane. a lot of my friends were friends with people in sci-fi too. That's a small Good world. stuff, yeah, I know. A really small world. Um, I, I enjoyed us. I got the most out of it. I thought the resources you had at the college um, were great then. Like I had a bunch of teachers that were really like, I could go to them anytime to ask them questions about real life, like what I want to do for writing. Same. Research. Um, Cause that's what I realized early on. I had to re- knew, know how to research well. You do. You know how you need to know how to research well. And the professors there were, they were really genuinely invested in the students. They were, they were so caring I ended up doing um, like an independent study with Dr. Stephen Wurst, and he was um, one of the head professors for psychology. I believe he's still there. And I was his very first independent study, so I had to propose it to him. And I got so much out of doing that with him. And I got to teach class and do research with him and hold office hours. And it was just a really amazing experience. So, Wow, that's great. So you came out of uh, Oswego, started teaching. Uh, how many years did you end up teaching before you pulled back? Okay, so I didn't actually, so I, I graduated Oswego with my BS in psychology. 
And so I did like, I tried to find a job and that's why I tell like young people, if you go into psychology, you know, you have to go for your master's or your doctorate coming even back in 93, when I graduated, getting a job with just a four-year degree in psych was kind of like, I never, it's like, I never went to school. Right. So I, I knew I wanted to get my master's. Um, I was accepted into RIT, um, on a waiting list for school psychology. And then I got accepted to Stony Brook for their master's in social work. And I I wanted to go to Stony Brook so bad, but here it was, right? 1993, 94, I did not have a car. My parents were like, look, you know, we helped you get through your four years at Oswego, but now it's up to you. And Stony Brook's far, you know, what are you gonna do? It's really far. It's like seven, eight hours from Rochester. So I was like, you know, that is far. So I just decided, okay, it's time to like think think it through and maybe pivot. And pivoting is what life is about, right? We have Talked to pivot. Talked a lot about that lately, yeah. And when you have to pivot, you have to understand that it's okay. It's actually a blessing a lot of times when you have to pivot and do something you want to do, but in a different way because you're still able to meet your goals, but in just a, a different way than you originally thought. And so, um, yeah, so I graduated. Um, I did some work in, in a field of psychology through uh, the Arc of Monroe County. I realized in order to further my degree, I needed to go back. So instead of furthering uh, on with psychology, my sisters, who were all three graduated as teachers, they're like, just, you would be an amazing teacher. You have everything it takes. Your undergrad in psychology is perfect for that. So I went to NAS and I I did their master's program, which was about a two year program. It was a dual certification, uh, general general education and uh, special education. So it was a really great program. And then I graduated in let's see, gosh, ninety. What year was it? So graduated ninety three from so ninety eight. Ended up graduating because I had my daughter in between that time. So Natalie was born. But uh, yeah, 1998, I graduated and started teaching for the city school district. And I've been an educator ever since because even though I'm not in a traditional classroom, I can't stop educating people, especially about cannabis. (laughs) Excuse me. So when we first met, you were creating a business plan in your mind of how you want to get in the industry. You knew that cannabis was a big part of your life. You just went through masters bachelors you went through and all this uh, mind you you probably were um, consuming cannabis on an almost daily basis you know i i i think see for my masters i wasn't i was a little older um my undergrad definitely i was consuming on a regular basis um but then my masters came around and then in between that time i had my daughter so i was probably more of a weekend user but I'm a medical patient too. So I, I became a medical patient for Aiden. And now it's I microdose it every day. Like I couldn't, I, I don't think I would feel as healthy. I know I wouldn't feel as healthy now if I didn't. So, um, you know, I started teaching and, you know, all the different hoops you have to jump through. And, but I loved, I love the kids. And my favorite part of teaching is I would, I love to say the hidden curriculum, right? So you're really getting to know the kids and teaching them what it means to be a, a productive citizen of our country, right? It's not just about, 
oh, okay, you can rattle off your multiplication facts so fast. No, it's about, wait, are you going to participate in our government? Are you going to stand up for people's rights? Are you going to say, hey, that's not the right thing and we need to, you know, come together and, you know, decide, hey, let's put a petition together or let's, um, you know, do a demonstration together. You know, those are the kind of students I wanted to produce. But that wasn't always a welcome thing, you know. But the, the students follow the company line, no yeah. matter what company you're you're under, whatever school district. Or there's a lot of debate about that going on now. Uh, I've heard a lot of statistics recently about uh, the development of kids through this COVID and how they're showing to be a couple standard deviations lower than they should. Um, and nobody's really taught. They're talking about masks. They're talking about vaccinations with these kids, uh, but nobody's talking about the social side, and nobody's talking about. Um, the how our com- country is going to be impacted uh, and the world is going to be impacted by these couple of years um, for something that's really unfortunately uh, not killing many kids under the age of 10, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So um, to put these kids at risk developmentally uh, for something that's not proving that it's um, taking kids' lives at the level where they, they want to make us feel like, I think it's frustrating. Definitely frustrating. The schools are so frustrated right now. Um, The social emotional aspects of these children are not being taken into account, how life has completely changed for all of us. And, um, you know, the supports are not really there because the schools were kind of like, all right, it's time to reopen and here you go, let's go. And all the same standards, the same amount of work, the same everything is expected but wait, we just, we're in COVID. What about all the damage that was done socially, emotionally to these children? And don't forget the staff um, and their families. So that piece of it was never handled. And so therefore now my sisters, the three sisters who are all still in the classroom. They told me it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's beyond what I ever could imagine when I was teaching. Cause I haven't been in a classroom teaching for about 12 years, I've, you know, for the last 12, I've been running my own home um, daycare that's licensed through the state of New York. Um, and I'm able to control the social emotional aspects in my own because I run it. But they just, for, you know, whatever reason, the timeline, we're worried about our scores. We're worried about getting back on track with testing. They're not addressing the social emotional piece. That is so huge for the kids, right? It's huge for all of us. Are, if we're not able to function at, at our optimal levels and feel that homeostasis that we so desire, how you know how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this the right way? And and how are these kids going to graduate and be able to participate or hold down a job and a career that's going to actually affect lives in a positive way? So, I think. You mentioned earlier how your son sees a therapist. I'm curious how long he has, and I believe that that is maybe one of the solutions to this for kids, but uh, maybe group therapy. I, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, how do you really, truly fix it from the root of it? That's why I always like to come from the root of it, right? So it's not like you can uh, change the third-grade curriculum, fourth-grade curriculum for for kids that are first and second grade, like you can't change that curriculum. It's going to stay the same because that's what the school district dictates, right? Like, and you are sitting there as a teacher in those classrooms going, man, these kids are behind. Like I need to, I need a different tool or I need a different way to go about 
giving them more, right? Amen. Um, so therapy, like, is there any other things you've thought about? But Definitely therapy, Brian. Definitely. It, 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 they all need it. And it should be built into the day for everyone, for all the kids and the staff too. Staff needs it just as much as the children. Um, you know, it's it's just a matter of saying, okay, this is what we need to switch and they need to pivot and say, okay, we need to put this in in this time block. And, you know, maybe you reduce the number of minutes you're teaching math, you know, social studies, science, and English only by about five to 10 minutes each. So you could fit that counseling piece in. Another um, thing kids need and are desperate for that, even when I was still in the classroom, it was in short supply, was movement, Brian, movement. Kids need to get up. They need to move around. They need to learn in different ways. One thing I loved when I was teaching or going to school for teaching at Nazareth was learning about the multiple intelligences and really understanding that kids need a, a lot, a big piece of what kids need are, are kinesthetics, getting up and moving while learning, even if that means they're standing at their desk while they learn, even if it means we're dancing for like five minutes in between what we're learning, it's okay because that's how we're going to, you know, keep making progress. That's how those facts and that important information is going to stick in that child's brain, you know, um, but it's great points. My daughter is a teacher. She's taught at the city school district, uh, California and at a charter school. And I know that when she sets up her room, when she does have a full teacher, uh, excuse me, a full room, whether it's second grade or first grade or whatever it is, um, she has a, a series of different style chairs, right. Um, to give the kids that option. Um, and I never thought of it before like that, but she's on it and she's only been in this a couple of years and she picked up on what you're talking about already. Yes. It's amazing because meeting those sensory needs right there will help regulate the kids. So if we're, if like I said, explain with my son, if he's not regulated, if he's what we say dysregulated, he's not in homeostasis, he can't absorb those, that learning. He can't learn. His body kind of like shuts down. So when you present those different seating options to kids. Um, we used to say fidget seats. I had Bilbo seats. I had kids sitting on balls in like my special ed preschool classroom. All different types of strategies. You're able to regulate your system and then therefore you can accept the learning. You could, you know, absorb it. So it really is those simple things and God bless her. Fabulous. I love it. I want to talk to her. That's great. Um, so now I want to get back to what we've talked about business-wise, right? So one of the biggest challenges I'm trying to paint for people, and I think your story really maybe can help some people in New York State area. Um, so when we first met, uh, you came up with a business name. What's the name? Buzzadoos. Buzzadoos Delivery. And um, it's we named Buzzadoos after our cat. We got a rescue cat for Aiden. Uh, his name is Buzz. He was already named and one day, Aiden was just hanging out. We we're just chilling with the cat. And he's like, Buzzy, Buzzadoo, Buzzadoo. I'm like, wait a minute. I like that name. As the gentleman that's doing all my branding, he's like, Christine, whatever you do, you have to come up with something unique. He's like, it can't be something that we hear, you know, all the time. Try to avoid the word, can you know, cannabis, avoid ganja, you know, try to avoid canna because everybody does that too. He's like something completely unique. And that's Toro and hair, by the way. That's uh, Chris Massad. I love him. So 
anyway, when he said buzzer, it's like buzzer's delivery. We bring the buzz to you. I'm like, that makes sense to me. And I loved it. It rolled off the tongue. So there it was. I love it. And, and you were so energetic when you came in our building and you were like, I'm going to be the delivery person for all of Rochester. Like you were going to own, you want to own this market. You were, you were ready to jump on board. You were, you're doing your research. At that point, you had already done research on other states. Um, so one of the things that I do is anytime someone comes to me is I have this filter thing, right? So if they're coming to me to talk to me about anything, um, because of the information I get, I try to make sure we filter and have a good conversation so it's productive. And if I hear someone saying something wrong, I like to correct you. Um, just to make sure we're all on the same footing and, and you don't have to be worried about something you don't have to be worried about, or maybe you're going to educate me on something that I don't know what's going on, which I love. So you were all energetic and you're like, yes. And you started reciting stuff that you would learn from other states, right? So, so tell me a little bit at the beginning of your research, uh, you know, how it kind of uh, started. So my, the beginning of my research, well, I, I had to figure out, okay, if I want to be licensed in the state of New York, what license type did I want to pursue? And I knew dispensary would be t- way too much overhead, um, you know, and I thought that delivery would be obtainable for someone like me who's a single parent. You know, I live, I've always unfortunately had to live like paycheck to paycheck, even as a teacher, um, just, you know, str- the struggle is real, but it's okay. I've been blessed, hundred percent blessed uh, to raise my children on my own and to do the things I've done with them. Right. So, um, but just thinking that delivery would be a better, more feasible option and compared to a dispensary, it is, but there are so many hidden startup costs and so many hidden little nooks and crannies within the laws that um, really don't set up a person like myself for a ton of success because no matter how you break down the, the facts or you break down the social equity programs and all those amazing buzzwords we have going on, the bottom line is you need the capital, right? You have to have the capital in order to start up. And and I'm not talking just a couple hundred. We're talking major capital. And that's a fact. So when you came into this, you uh, understood, you knew what you needed to have for a vehicle, right? You needed it. So what, now, if someone else is thinking about transportation business now, what have you learned already that you can pass on? Okay, so. You know, the, the, if, I know uh, your vehicle has to be set up a certain way. For yes, right? your vehicle has to be set up a certain way. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to take my lease and deliver in that. You'd have to get a special, like, commercial vehicle that has got the um, the cage in between the driver and the back seat. Then you have to have a lockbox in your trunk. You have to have a camera in your car and a camera on your person, like a special vest with a camera embedded in it. Um, These vehicles, I know I researched like being able to, you can lease them through a company in Ohio. Uh, Distribution vehicles are more expensive because they have to be refrigerated. They have to be temperature controlled. Like delivery vehicles don't, but they're very expensive. They're like, you know, starting at 50 grand, 75 grand. And then you're looking at leasing it and then your monthly payment, et cetera, et cetera. And then being able to staff your operation, you have to have two drivers in every vehicle. And a lot of delivery businesses are finding they're just not able to make, really make ends meet by the time they're paying all their staff, all their drivers they're not looking at a big gain. And that, and that's not why I want to be in this industry. I want to be in this industry to help people. So, but I don't want to enter into a new industry 
and live paycheck to paycheck the way I have been, why jump through 10 million hoops again to live the same stressful situation that I'm used to? I'd like to actually pay my bills and like afford a couple trips a year and, you know, I'm, you know, and, and lighten up on the credit card use, that kind of thing. Um, so was there a specific moment in time where you kind of said, all right, this, this, this dream I've had for a couple months now, transportation license, um, is there a moment there was, was there like a bell ringing moment or, or, you know, how did that, how did that go from, I think I could run this business, right? Like you really thought, Hey, I think I could do this, maybe get a backer. Right. But, but then you realize it's just going to be a struggle because we're talking about right now, probably needing between 300 and $500,000 to start a licensed business in the state right now, minimum right for a business like that. Right. Is that what you found as well? Yes, absolutely. Brian. And the thing is this, I kept hearing, all the talk, all the verbiage, all the promises of social equity. But it was a big circle. It was a big circle, a big like, it kept repeating, right? It kept going around and around and these buzzwords around and around. And I'm like, but where is the help, right? Where is the actual help for somebody like me who doesn't have the capital? Yes, they were, they, I've been, um, okay, so I participated in a couple different incubators for like, resources. Like, you know, helps you like start to think about developing a business plan. It helps you like gain access to resources, that kind of thing. But I've always been really good at that because I'm a teacher. What I can't conjure up is money, right? So I'm like, okay, I really, um, with all the critical thinking skills I've developed all over my lifetime, I realized that piece is completely up to each applicant your ability to raise that money on your own. And at one point I was considering selling my house. So I was like, if I move, if I sell my house, I'll have a good amount of money in the bank. However, where would I move? I'd say, I can't live in a tent. You know, I have kids, you know, I have pets. I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm like, you know, I had to be realistic and say, pivot, pivot foot. There is a different way I can still help people and get bring them plant-based medication, which I believe is our human right to have access to plant-based medications. And there, I can still do that. I don't have to get, you know, totally stressed out about 280E, this expensive licensing that I can't afford, um, tr- getting tangled up with possibly angel investors or people that are not good for what... Um, what my, what I'm about, right? I wanted, and I, I'm a prayerful person. You know, I, I don't necessarily go to like a church service every week, but I pray every day. I pray every day and I ask for guidance, whether that be from my, the mycelium that's listening, because I believe that mycelium is the mother of us all, or a higher being of the universe. I pray and I talk to the universe and I say, please guide me. Let me do what's right for myself and my family. And I realized, I'm like, going through these, you know, hoops and these systems in order to get licensed through the state will not necessarily be the best decision for me, you know, financially, number one. But number two, my youngest being autistic, he kind of requires a lot of my time. And I want to be able to give that to him. I don't want to be able, I have to say, I'm working, you know, 12 hour days and, you know, you're on your own. He needs that push until he gets into his adult years and he'll still need guidance as he becomes an adult, but he needs, this is a pivotal age for him. 16, he'll be going on 17. 
Then I've got my Jordan going to college. And just, you know, this is, this is you know, that pivotal moment was like, aha. And I could still help people. I could still bring this amazing herbal medication, you know, this plant-based medicine to people in a different way. So how do you think you're going to do it now? So now I'm going to continue with my education and my advocating, and I'm going to bring, like, basically, I'm going to be hostessing parties for people and teaching them about all things cannabis, cannabinoids, you know, I'm calling it Cannabinoids 101. You know, do we even know CBG, CBN, CBGA, CBD, um, THC, um, talking about the entourage effect, what it can do for your anxiety, your sleep, you know, your pain, all the different things. Like, look at my son Aiden and what it's done for him. For me, as a 50-year-old woman, what it's done for me is amazing. So just being able to talk to people, keep it real, keep it fun, um, you know, get get excited about it because I already wholesale. I'm a whole. I'm a wholesale partner with a lot of cool companies already. No Wave is one of them. I carry um, CBD products from them, and I'm just excited about because a lot of people don't even know that taking CBD on a regular basis will help them. So just getting that word out, getting the education out, um, you know, letting people know where to go for products that are tested and safe. Um, you know, COAs, you know, certificate of analysis is so important, knowing that it's been tested, what's in it. Some people just, oh, I just want to eat a brownie. But how many milligrams are in that brownie? Do we know where that brown, you know, that what cannabis is in that brownie? And do we know, is it tested? That kind of thing. So I love it. it. This is what I'm trying to introduce to people that I come across that I know will have a hard time raising capital or who may have uh, good energy for the industry, uh, but don't quite, uh, can't run a business on their own, right? They can't do the application, but they want to be in. I love this ancillary business because now we have a lot of people, for instance, there was a big show in Rochester, December 18th uh, at the Armory that drew a lot of people. uh, And I talked to a lot of people that day that are very new to this industry. Like they wanted to understand what they were looking at and what the difference is between good and bad. And I lost my voice that day talking to people over the music, but it was so worth it. And I've actually had two or three people texting me or, or reaching out through social media about, Hey, uh, you know, thanks for that information. That was good. And a couple of them went to our end stores, but I find there's, it's so much more receptive, right? Like the conversations, you're not hiding it anymore, right? Like, and I don't mean hiding it, but your family all knew who you were, your friends did, but now you're even like... Green sheep of the family. Always was. Ironically, I'm wearing green. Mm -hmm. And... uh, green sheep, she says. You know, it's like my family's always known. And I always even told them before it went, even was talked about being legal. I'm like, someday this is going to be how I retire I want to be able to bring this to people and you know educate them about their right to consume plant-based medication to help you know let's, life is so short right and there's so many different physical and mental things we go through as people um you know some way more than others and we all deserve to feel happiness we all deserve to feel balanced and we we deserve to feel good so I I just want to share it with everybody I can't that I like I could talk about it all day. So how about 
from your perspective then, so now we're talking about kind of uh, the soccer mom type we have in front of us now. Uh, and she's looking at New York State. She loves cannabis plant. What? And you've talked about the social and how you're going to be a part of it. But now that you've been going to events, you've been going to Rock Normal. I know you, you, you've um, been very much active locally. What do you think about what you've seen that's going on in the state? Are you happy about the way it's coming down? Are you set? Like, where do you fall on that? And a true response, um, because obviously no other state has got it right that we found so far. Right. So we can't even New York state and the legislators can't say such and such state has a perfect system, slight modifications. We got it right. So every state has not gotten this right. How do you, how do you, how are you feeling about how the state's going to handle this? Honestly, I see we are, I feel like we're trying to address the social equity piece. We're trying as a state to address the sustainability piece. However, going back to social equity, I feel like it's a lot of rhetoric. It's a lot of talk. Um, we don't really have anything solid in place. Um, that 200 million, that was wonderful. However, that's only for dispensaries. It's not going to touch any other license type. And these uh, MSOs that are already going to be up and running before everybody else, I feel that obviously their medical dispensaries have been open for years. MSO is a medical dispensary, yeah, by the medical. way, just so everybody knows yeah. the acronym. Yep. Go ahead. The medical dispensaries have been open for a number of years now, and they obviously have capital. They should be funding social equity now. But my big fear too is, and I've expressed this because I'm on the uh, social equity committee for NYC GPA. My big fear is people are going to get so excited that there's this opportunity for them to have this capital so they could they could have their license and their dream. And then they're going to get roped in to, you know, like having part of their profits go to this company or their ownership rights are, are going to be tied up with this company. And then it, it's not yours anymore. So that's my fear for people like me, because you get excited. You want to be able to, but you can't. You, and this is what our point is, that you don't have to be, you don't have to succumb to those kind of, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't have to, you don't have to succumb to it. The predatory practices. It's a pre yeah, the, all those predatory practices, they are there. I believe they're there. I see them. I see hints of them. I don't see, I, I don't know anyone directly impacted yet, but the writing's on the wall. And I feel like, um, you know, you could still meet your goal in a different way. You know, 280E alone, you know, look, Taxes are hard enough. Um, you know, I'm a business owner, so I've run my licensed home daycare for like the past 11 years. And, you know, writing, getting my taxes done every year can be a very stressful event. You know, um, we itemize everything and I'm, I'm a DBA, so I'm not incorporated or anything like that. But it's just still, it's complicated. And then when COVID hit, it, what it did to my business and um, I got some grants from um, different agencies for the daycare, which is a blessing. However, it screwed me over with my taxes. So all those different implications of those, like that ripple effect, those layers that you don't see right away, they can hurt you later. And just, you know, if your goal is to help people and get plant-based medications to them, you could still do that in a different way. And it's okay. You know, you don't have to have that license to prove that you are an important part of the industry because there's so many amazing, important roles too. 
Are you happy that you are involved with that committee? Uh, I think it's a great committee, the Social Equity Committee. Yes, I'm very happy. Uh, I've learned so much. I'm involved with social equity and sustainability. And they just I learn so much every time we talk. Um, you know, we're in the middle of writing our white papers and just trying to push the le- the legislation, which we need to do because they need to hear our voices, right? They need to hear the people and our voices, and we we want to make sure those things don't happen. But I, you know, I still feel like we're there's only so much we're going to be able to um, control and persuade. And I know NYCGPA is such a great organization and such a big voice in New York State, which is a blessing. So I do feel like we've got a good leg up there. Um, I just feel like there's, like I said, there's only so much, um, even with sustainability, even though we we know what, like this, this is an opportunity to actually help the environment, but because of all the different pieces to it, and all the different players involved, it's going to be hard to say, oh, this is how you're going to run it. And this is how these are the this is the carbon footprint you're going to be, you know, leaving. Um, it's it's going to be hard to dictate all those specifics. And it's going to be difficult to follow up with certain companies and people. So, you know, one day at a time, I think this the cannabis uh, community and the cannabis culture is about people, right? It's a, at the heart of our community is helping people, bringing plant-based medicine to people, um, bringing people together. Uh, when I was interviewed by channel, I think it was channel eight, Allie Peterson, she's like, where do you see buzzadoos in five years? I'm like, I see me bringing people together, you know, stopping the stigma, educating people, um, and just coming together over a plant that helps us all. It could help heal us and help heal the planet. I um I, I don't see it any other way. I'm like, and when I said that to her, she was, I think, not saying she was disappointed, but I think she expected me to say, oh, you know, I'm gonna have like, you know, across the state, um, Buzzadoos is gonna be in the in Albany and Rochester and Buffalo and Syracuse. And that's not important to me. What's important to me is helping people. Yeah, the media is all just clickbait right now. I mean, I'm very down on the national media right now. I wish uh, we'd get more focused on the problems that are really facing us as as humans right now. I'm very concerned about the child care credit going away this year, uh, as well as once people file their taxes to see what the implications of getting that last year are. I'm so glad you mentioned the implications of getting money from the government because it's not always totally free money. You got to, you got to keep your eyes out. Um, so I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, you and I have had a lot of good conversations and since people now publicly know that you're doing this, I want to know how big your network has grown and how quickly, because obviously you had a big network already. You're a social butterfly. I can tell, but exponentially, how many more people seriously, um, are, are reaching out to you? Like, like, do you get a free moment ever? Like, where are you at now with that? So it's been amazing, though, because I've got my LinkedIn network. I've got my Instagram network. I've got my Rochester network, Rock Normal, uh, you know, just the different people I've met at events. And I've got them. And I've got the people that I, like, enjoy learning about their products and seeing, like, okay, this is a really great product. And these are healthy products that my, you know, my customers would benefit from. So it's been amazing, and I I can't 
like everywhere I go, I talk about cannabis. So, you know, even at my doctor appointment, say my, I got my eyes examined and I ended up talking to the woman who helped me with my glasses and she, I gave her a card because, you know, she's my age and we're going through some similar health issues. And just, you know, to me, it's like, it's like connecting people with their, what's their right. It's like, this is your right. It's a plant that grows from the, from the earth and I want to connect you with it. So that way you can feel the best you can feel. My physical therapist, when I had my knee surgery, um, MJ, she was phenomenal. And she wasn't really on board with CBD, I don't think, or, or hadn't really tried herself. Um, but I turned her onto it and gave her a sample. And by the time I left there, she knew where to get the products from. Um, and I believe everybody else in the office had, had a positive experience from it. So here at physical therapy office, just by me going to do rehab, I was the same way. I passed that knowledge into them, and I'm hoping a lot of them pass it on as well. Um, yes. Because there is subtle benefits. It's not just about getting high on your couch and right. watching TV, right? Like, Amen. That stigma is gone. It please. is gone. It is so gone. Like we we talked about all, all the time about microdosing. So you know, Aiden obviously microdoses. He only takes one point two five milligrams of THC three times a day. Um, I microdose for my um, anxiety, uh, for my you know hot flashes. It helps. Um, it reduces your basal body temperature, and it really. I don't know if anyone's ever noticed when you smoke. Sometimes you feel cold. Well, that's what it's like reducing your body temperature. So like I have hardly any hot flashes. I feel better. My mood is better. I'm able to process things better. I'm just, I just feel like I'm ba more balanced. It's not a crutch. It's just something that you feel like is a balance for your life, right? Right. Like, it's my medicine. Mm -hmm. And I do see it as medicine, even recreationally. I really feel that it's still medication. Because even if you don't realize you're helping your body, you are, you know, with your CB1 and CB2 receptors, your endocannabinoid system throughout your body, it's specifically made to attach to those receptors and work throughout your body. So it's, it's like a miracle. And now we get to talk about it. And she's uh, multitasking right now. Our son Aiden, I know, is all over her to get home right now. So she is being so gracious with her time where she's she's definitely sacrificing time with her son right now. But I do want to make sure um, everybody understands what Buzzadoos is, where they can find you on your on your Instagram and all your social medias, and give, give everybody an idea of where they can find you. Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn as Christine Steo. I'm on... Spelled S-T-I-O. Yes. Steo Rio, you know. Not style. <laughs> and then I'm on um, Instagram um, as Buzzadoos. I'm also on Instagram as Cannabis Queen Christine. And I'm also on Instagram just for my family page, Christine Steo. Um, you could always email me at hello at buzzadoos.com. I am more than happy to talk to anybody. You have a question, you want to hop on a call, you just want to chat for five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour. You have questions about getting licensed, about um, supporting in an ancillary role. I am so happy to talk to you. I I, I welcome it. Please contact me. I, I'd be happy to nav help you navigate, um, filter through your questions, you know, different financial if you're a single parent or if you're struggling financially, but you, this is your dream. Please, by all means, reach out because I understand what you're going through. And I would love to help you.
And don't forget, we have, as we mentioned on a previous episode, if you didn't hear it, we also have the Monroe County Library System with a great batch of resources. And and she's shaking her head because she is well aware of what's going on there as well. Um, Talk about a serious incubator there uh, with Hemp Lab and Zach Sarkis, who started that and has turned it over to the library system. So I just like to plug them every chance I get because they're doing such a good job there. Uh, And and that way, when Christine says, hey, yes, you can do this and this, she'll probably send you to the library for some of these resources. So uh, just be aware of that. And um, what, uh, if I want to have a party, like, how do I bring you in? Why, like, how do I make you the center of attention? Like, if I want to bring some people over and, and have you run a party, like, how will that work? Okay. Well, all you have to do is contact me. We'll put it on the calendar. And what I'll do is I'll come with my all my Buzzadoo stuff and my good, my good plant-based medications. And I will set it all up for you. I will talk about it. I will educate people about it, answer questions, and then have fun. I mean, I, I love people. Brian knows I'm a very friendly person and I could talk to just about anybody. And when it comes to cannabis and cannabinoids and hemp and CBD, I could literally talk about it all day long. So um, if you're kind of curious and you want to know more, uh, I'm your woman. So feel free to reach out. If previously you used to have those, uh, you know, parties, those beer fests with your friends with the pong tables out in the garage, maybe this time you have Christine come over. She teaches about all the products uh, that she has collected and the information. I mean, she's talking about receptors right now, guys. Like this is this is not just an average everyday soccer mom here. This is someone that understands uh, how it hits your body and how, she'll tell you how drinking something or smoking something or eating an edible, uh, how it'll process in your body differently. She'll explain to you. Um, how, how some things maybe you need to make sure is tested and other things maybe you can trust. Uh, but that's certainly the information she's gathered and can pass that on to you. And secretly, she probably can pass some information on what's going on in the legislation behind the scenes a little bit because of her role on the Social Equity Committee for the New York Growers and Processors Association. Uh, that's a very important thing that she's doing. I know that's a weekly call, usually, I'm sure, for you guys, as well as for the committee I'm, I'm on as well. Um, sometimes way longer than an hour, actually, um, as well as the other work that goes along with that. Uh, but both of her and I, I know, are doing that to make sure we make sure that maybe this state becomes the template for other states moving forward. That's what I would like to see out of New York State, personally. Um, I think we could be on that road. I don't see where we've wavered. Um, it was, I didn't realize the 200 million. So thank you for educating me on that was mostly for dispensaries for uh, social equity, which is probably still good because I did know that that would really be the license type that would benefit social equity the most, um, being on the front lines and they're used to that already. Uh, so, I'm supportive of that, um, but I wish it would branch out into some of the other license types, unfortunately. Um, but I but I guess that's something I have to mull over. But thank you for that information. I appreciate that. Sure, we sure something thing. The other day. Um, you, you got all her stuff. Her son Aiden needs her. Um, anything you want to pass is just the last minute to everybody as we, as we end the episode. So my last words of wisdom is follow your heart. If this is something you believe in, um, you know, there's more than one ways to accomplish a goal. You know, be a divergent thinker, use your creativity and bring that plant-based medicine to the people who need it, who deserve it. It's all our right and keep supporting each other. Come together, you know, support each other and don't be afraid. Don't hold back. This is an amazing time to be alive and thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everybody. Uh, you can find me at Hempthletics on my Instagram, Hempthletic Podcast on Facebook, as well as Brian Lane. 
I hope to hear from you all in the future and have a great day. What's it, Buzzadoo? Give it one more time. Buzzadoo's delivery. We bring the buzz to you. 